my Lord was gone, would not hear my prayer. But praise the Lord, Christ, Amen. I would not be Satan said my Lord was gone and would not hear my prayer and yours but there's a man sitting right back there in that office a while ago that we'd prayed for here a couple of Wednesday nights ago 95% better in his back right here over the weekend we called a man's name down in the island of Cyprus. Been taken to the emergency room, couldn't walk, couldn't move, in such excruciating pain. Got an email from him yesterday. He was up, walking around, moving, no pain. That's our God. So if he's mindful of them, don't you think he's mindful of you? So maybe yours is not a back. Maybe it's your heart. Could be something physically wrong with it, or it could be broken. Whatever it is, the Lord Jesus is mindful of you. I'm so glad that we have him in this troubled time, aren't you? The scripture tells us that there would be perilous times that would come. Perilous. That means that it's so hard to live, that it's so hard to even deal with the day-to-day things of life. Perilous. It's a tremendous word that Paul used. That's where we are. We have arrived. But God is keeping us, loving us, helping us. He don't keep, keep us from all the trouble, but he keeps us in the trouble. Sometimes it calms the storm. Sometimes it calms us leaves the storm around us. Amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Let's turn, if you would, tonight to John chapter 3, verse 16 again. How many loves the Word? Oh, I tell you, I just so appreciate God's Word. John 3, 16 through verses 18. For God so loved For God so loved that he gave. You know, the real proof of love is not just words, but action. People can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Before long, you begin to believe that. They're pretty sorry. (laughs) But they don't ever do anything about it. So you know what? Then you begin to get to a place you think, they're not really sorry for what they're doing that's wrong. They're just really sorry they got caught about it. 
But this is true love. For God so loved the cosmos, the world order, as we looked at it last week, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, and remember this is in him believing, believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, go ahead and say it, it won't hurt you. Might. Not would, not 100%, but they might. But they might not, too. So you can see then that we're not dealing with election, predestination, foreknowledge. We're dealing with an avenue of an aspect of God's love that will be based totally upon the recipients, not upon the giver. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the cosmos, the world, through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those wonderful verses. How many like to be remembered tonight in prayer? Let's pray together. Hold that request in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for these precious words that we've read tonight. Lord, I'm sure that when we get there that day, we will see, shake hands. We will greet and be greeted by many, many people who have accepted these words and have Believe them, and they will be saved. We thank you for your provision of love and grace beyond the Lamb's book of life. That you, Lord, in your own words, that you are not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I pray you would help us to be able to reminisce and think back of the first two worshipers outside the garden gate. When one of them came by divine revelation, he offered a lamb, walked by his mother, his father, them looking at each other with a look of wonderment upon their face, asking each other, did you tell him? No, did you? No, I didn't. How did he know it was blood? How did he know what to bring? We've taught him fruit. How did he know? But it was you who taught him. Abel was in your seed line. You were obligated to reveal it to him. His half-brother comes up, beautiful flowers, fruits, vegetables, works of his hands. You refused to sacrifice. Yet you came back to him and said, why are you so angry? If you do well, Act like your brother. I will accept you. The prophet of God said you loved him and you went after him. You knew, you knew it would not be by revelation 
But if he would simply do what Abel done with an element of sincerity and faith, you would accept him. Lord God, I pray that you'd help us tonight, Father. May we be able to accept whatever divine mercy and sovereignty of God that is given to us in the measure it is given in. You saw the needs of your people, the hands that were raised. Father, I have in my hands an out of prayer cloth. Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus. You know the need, the request. May you move for it, Lord. May you help us as we look into your word tonight. Reveal it to us, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. How many knows there's different degrees of love? How many of your brothers love your wives? Everybody keep your hand up. All you wives look around, please. You love your wives. You love your mother-in-law the same way you love your wife, though. Now, that's not a joke. Do you love your mother-in-law the same way you love your wife? What about it, Brother Seth? You're far enough from your mother-in-law. Do you love your mother-in-law as much as you love your wife? Now, these are newlyweds, so I can pick on him. Does he love his mother-in-law? No question about it. His sister-in-laws? Absolutely. But in the same way, the same measure that he loves his wife? No. No doubt he loves his mother. I've seen him around his mother. You watch a man around his mother, tell you lots about the way he'll treat his wife. I've seen him around his mother. You can tell he loves his mother. Has a great respect and honor for his mother. But does he love his mother in the same way he loves his wife, Caitlin? Of course not. What about his, his nieces or whatever more that he would have in the future? Would he feel exactly the same way? No. Why? The love would be a different type of love. And even though it would be a measurable love of human love, there would be a degree or a depth of that love that wouldn't quite be the same. And that's not being impartial. That's not being cold. That's not being indifferent. Hope you understand it. We are actually designed to be able to love by degrees. Now, wouldn't it be a strange world if everybody you looked at and they all looked like your father? You just looked at everybody and you loved them the same way as you loved your father. Or you'd love everybody the way you loved your mother. Or the way you would love a first cousin. Or, and there would be no, no differentiation in the value or the degree or the measure of our love. So what does God do even as humans? God diversifies our love and gives us the ability to love some people so deeply. We can love them so deeply that it's, it's almost beyond explanation. And there's such a feeling to that love. And it's emotional, and yet it's also tied to our psyche. It's tied to so much about us. And there's other people that we love them, and we look at them, and we love them. But yet, really, we can find words to describe how we feel about them. So you know what? That means that love is of less degree than those that you cannot find words to describe. So now where then does this type of love come from? Now we never created love, and Satan certainly is not a creator. 
So where does the degrees and the avenues of this type of love come from? Well, of course, it has to come from God. Now, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But yet we know in God that there are some people that he has even loved in his economy more than others. There were three men, Peter, James, and John, that were chosen to walk in certain places with the Lord Jesus that the rest of the apostles never got to walk. Is that right? Is that your Bible? So the three men that were taken on special occasions, you see their name written over and over again. And then yet out of those three, there was another which was loved even above the three. And he knows it. He identifies himself and calls himself that disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't believe it was out of arrogance and pride that John was saying that. But because there had been a differentiation of the love of the Lord Jesus shown toward him above the others. Oh my, everybody's so quiet. Now, that is not impartial. That is not indifferent. It is actually from the attributes of God. Now, God has always done that. We know that God loved Abram as he, before he changed his name, and gave him a special love unlike any other man that he had ever felt about. Is that right? Well, we know that the seed lines coming out, of course, of Genesis 3, when the seed line comes, we can certainly see a differentiation of the love that God gives. And then when the seed lines are crossed in Genesis 6, and we can see that God would pick even from the same father and the same mother, and God would say, Jacob, have I loved, Esau, have I hated. Now, the English word that we use, hated, really doesn't give the fair view to the Hebrew word which is used, and we'll we'll get into it a little bit more later. But actually, if you look at it in the proper use of the word, the Bible says when the Lord saw that one of Jacob's wives was hated and that the other one was loved, that the Lord opened up her womb, Leah, and gave her children. But when you look at the word, it's not actually that we would take whenever we say hated, but it was simply loved less. So Jacob loved both of his wives, but the English rendering of the word is, if you'll look at it carefully, you'll find it's the same thought. When Jesus said, if a man will come and follow me, he's not even worthy that he be my disciple unless he hates his father and his mother. Now we know Jesus never taught us to hate our father and our mother, but it is to love them less than we love him. Well, there's enough been said we can dismiss right now and go home. Amen. We just covered a lot of territory. So whenever we look then at the Bible saying that God hates this one and God loves that one in our terms, the way we look at it sounds absolutely awful. And we say, oh my goodness. But when you look at the words and the way that they are used, it simply means that God loves this one less than he loved this one. Now when you look at Esau, it's very apparent why that God would do that. So there are degrees of love as there are degrees 
degrees of creation, as there is degrees of trust, degrees of power, degrees of brightness in illumination of stars. And God has done all of these things in degrees. Even in heaven, there will be degrees of reward. In hell, there will be degrees of punishment and severity of punishment based upon the works of the individuals as they go there. Right? Now, so then we see that God then can actually love in the same way. So God so loved the world, but God never beloved the world. But God loved the world. So God can love sinners. He can look at them, and he doesn't love their sin. He can look at every sinner on the face of the earth tonight and God could say it was all truth and all integrity and all honesty. I love you all. Even though a great majority of you do not even believe in me anymore. But I love you anyway. Every breath you took today, I gave you. Every breath you'll take from now on to your death, I will give you and I say, I love you. But is it the same degree and the same measure of love that he would answer to his elect and say to them, I love you? Some of you saying no, some of you is not sure. No. He's not. Because why? The elect are part of his family. Now for us, you know, the closer we have an association and the more we like people, honestly, I hope you can understand it, that there has to be an element of compatibility in the realm of likeness before we can even start to reach out in the avenue of love. I mean, every, every couple I always counsel, I've told you before, I go it in the same way before they're going to get married and I ask them, do you love one another? Yeah, 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 we love one another. But I always ask them this, but do you like one another? The response is always the same way. They always laugh because they don't understand where I'm going. Because it's very possible that a man could meet a woman, a woman meet a man, and they could actually fall in love. And then the longer they're together, the more they realize they really don't like each other. Now, I know that seems bizarre. But they could actually love them. And when time is what reveals whether you like the person you married or not. Because, oh my goodness, the more you're with them and the more you're around them, the more their things about their issues and their personalities and all that show up. And I wish he wasn't that way. I wish she wasn't that way. Oh, do you love them? Why, you'd walk out in front of a car for them. You'd give your life for them. But what is it that causes a lot of marriage problems? It's the dislikes between the man and the woman. Well, praise the Lord. And yet we see the more that we have a compatibility of our like issues, the more that love can be able to flow in that channel. It's the same with brothers and sisters. Sometimes, you know, you get around people and you say, you know, I just don't feel comfortable around them. I just don't understand them. I just, they got a strange sense of humor. They're as dry as a sandy beach. I just don't understand them at all. But the more you're around them and the more you understand them and you find yourself actually loving that person more. Now, what was it? 
that caused you to release more love because you found more of a compatibility in your likeness for them that you like them and you know, you know what, the more I'm around that guy, I really do like that guy. Well, I'll tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find it's easy for you to love him. So the like issues a little bit resolved and the love channel can open up. So you'll find yourself falling more in love with your wife or your husband or even brothers and sisters that you're around. And you can go to church with somebody for years and years and never really know them because you don't really like being around them. And then all of a sudden you all have to sit side by side one day at a dinner when you are. And you're as nervous as you can be because you've never really liked this man. But all of a sudden, you know, he says a little something, you say a little something, and then you say a little something back and you tell your wife afterwards, I really enjoyed setting my brother, uh, I'll leave that out. Uh, well, I really enjoyed setting my brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. You know what? I think we might ask him out for dinner. Really? I didn't think you'd ever liked him. Now, these are conversations that go on in y'all's car that none of y'all wish that I knew about, right? But yet we know how we are as human beings. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go out and eat with them for dinner and all you think, my goodness, I cannot believe how much we have in common with this brother or sister. What we've missed out on. What is it? Your love is able to grow and able to express itself. Did you love that brother before? No doubt you did. But guess what has just happened? Something in the degree of your love has grown because the compatibility issue has been able to be resolved a little bit more and it opens up the channel of love to where you can find yourself loving them more. So God can look at the world and say, I love the world so much. He could say, I love liars. I love whoremongers. I love homosexuals. I love adulterers. I love drunks. I love drug addicts. I love, I love all of them. Whatever name that we want to put on, God could say, I love you all and I'm going to give this gift. This gift might be able to save you. It will be able to save you if you will be able to receive it. But on the other hand, I have a score multiplied genes of mine that I'm going to send forth to the earth. They're going to live at the same time you mites are going to live. Now, I'm not going to look at them and say, well, you all might be able to say, be saved. I'm going to look at them and say, I knew you all before the world ever began. And I wrote your name on my book. As I mentioned the other last Wednesday night, we dealt with this. That the Lord Jesus could not look at Nicodemus, and these words are being expressed to Nicodemus. He could not have looked at him as he did to the other apostles in St. John 16 and say, I have chosen you. You not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. He could not say that to Nicodemus because he had not done it. But he could preach to Nicodemus the aspiration of the God that could apply to Nicodemus' life. And that was what? John 3, 16. But yet we know that Nicodemus never went on to fully be born again. He never went on to really be able to become an apostle, a disciple, one that was full of the Holy Ghost. No doubt he will be there because the prophet, of course, tells us that he's good to the people of God in the time of trouble. And there will be many, many people that you and I know that will never be the beloved of God. Now, is it simply because they don't choose to be so? No. If you are beloved tonight, it's not because you're gooder than somebody else. It's not because you're more faithful, you're more loyal, you're more holy. It's because God chose you. You didn't choose Him. 
Well, that's the way it is with the elect of God. We never chose him. Now, so you will agree with then, then there's a difference in a love between, now if you brothers feel tonight towards your wife the way you do towards your mother-in-law, I'd say you need to fall in, your love, in love with your wife again. Because the love you have for your mother-in-law and respect and so on and so on, and you should love your mother-in-law. Even if she's not a good one, you should love her anyhow because she produced your wife. Unless, of course, you don't love your wife. And then if you don't love your wife, brother, you've got major issues. Amen. But if you do love your wife, then you know what? Your mother-in-law may not even be that great of a person. But think what she gave you by giving you your wife. So you look at that, and will you ever feel the same? If you've got a great mother-in-law, and you get along wonderfully, you'll never feel about her the way you do about your wife. Look at your daughters. You look at your daughters and your fathers, how you feel toward them. Will you ever feel toward my daughters or someone else's daughters the way you would about yours? Or you may love my daughters and say they're real Christians and they are and they love the Lord and they do but yet they are not bone of your bone flesh of your flesh blood of your blood no no they're not Uh, you know and that's the way we look at the economy of God that God has so many by which he reaches out his love and his love being so diversified by which he reaches to them and he loves them God looks at them and he loves them God knows 144,000 they don't even know him yet but he knows them he knows who they are he knows what their names are he knows from which tribe they're going to come from and God loves them God loves the Gentile people that are going to be saved those that's going through the tribulation period oh my God loves them so much but not enough to rapture them praise the Lord oh no no. the, the, the loved are not going in the rapture Only the beloved will. Now, turn with me, if you would, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 21. Now, watch this this view comes, of course, from the Old Testament, merges on over into the New, because God is unchanging. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Now, Daniel is not just now loved nor beloved, but he's actually greatly beloved. So this particular man, now wait a minute, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Were they not loved of God? They were loved of God, but yet they were part of the great economy of God and we had thousands times thousands of Jews remember in the same city where Daniel is. But yet Daniel was loved above them and the church said this is your Bible, you can't deny it. So he's not only beloved or beloved, whichever way you want to pronounce it, He was not only beloved of God, but the angel actually added another adjective to this to describe it, and that was greatly beloved. So here in the economy of God is a prophet that was none other now was actually identified with this same terminology. Jeremiah was a great man, Ezekiel a great man, on and on and on we could go. 
that yet no angel was personally sent to them in the recorded record of the word and ever told them this thing. Can you imagine what an astounding thing it would have been to heard this? Now he said, I'm come forth to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Now look at this Hebrew word. It's komad to mean to desire to covet. This is what the word beloved means. To desire, covet, take pleasure in, delight in, to be desirable, to delight greatly, desire greatly, desirableness, preciousness. I personally know no humans that can meet the definition of this word. It's got to be something divine that would make any of us like this. Praise the Lord. Now notice this is beyond human desirableness. This is beyond human precious. Now you think how precious your children are, how precious your grandchildren are. But this is not a word that's being used to describe the way a human would feel. Well, where is he greatly beloved? And the angel of God is not asking the Persians, okay? The angel of God is not taking a poll. We're going to do a pew poll now and say how many love Daniel, how many greatly feels Daniel is a greatly beloved of God. This is a message from heaven. So this angel Gabriel was sent the message from the presence of the great Father God, this great illuminating light, and he said, when you get there, you tell Daniel, he is greatly beloved in heaven. What greater thing could be asked for, friends? Oh, praise God. I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Daniel chapter 10, verse 11. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Notice now again, verse 19. And said, oh man, greatly beloved. Now can you imagine over and over again? Now remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their great trial is when the prefigure of the Son of God appears in the furnace of fire. How many believe they were loved of God? How many believe they were elect of God? But they were never called greatly beloved. Praise the Lord. Amen. Oh man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for thou hast strengthened me. So then we see that God in the Old Testament in the naming of the 12 sons of Israel as God come down through them, we can see even with their portion as the prophet of God prophetically would lay his hands on them and declare their name. And he would begin with Reuben and go right on down. You can see by the allotment of their portion how God is going to bless them according to the word. Now some of them would get a great allotment of land even in the territory of 
of Israel. Now, why would some of those sons be more fertile than the others? And you look at the allotment of Gad, and you see what a tiny little spot that Gad got in comparison to Issachar, in comparison to Judah, and some of the others, and having been to the land, of course, and looking at some of the land, you say, boy, they must have felt like God had a real attitude against them. Some of the land that some of them got, you, can, you think they couldn't grow nothing in that place. And yet around Galilee and the Sea of Galilee, grass up this tall, trees beautiful. And you think, man, how in the world did jealousy not really prevail among some of them because some of them got a spot, seemed like there was nothing there. But yet according to their nature, according to their makeup, they would be able to fit in that piece of property that God gave them. Their numbers would fit. The allotment would match the allocation of sea line. And there they'd be able to fit. Did it seem as if though that God even loves some sons of Jacob more than others? Yep. Joseph was highly favored. Judah was highly favored in the eyes of God. Now then, when we come to the New Testament, as a lot of folks feel like that God got saved and God was an old grouch in the Old Testament, God had a real attitude problem. And when it come to the New Testament that all of a sudden God got saved and God got real happy and real cheery and God got rid of his grouchy grumps, you know, and God become into a better mood and God's going to start dealing with things a lot different now. Now that the New Testament is on and we're under grace, God, really? Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. As a matter of fact, God is not a grouchy grump anyway. Never has been, never will be. It's just because we don't understand him. Notice now, here is the Logos, which is now embraced. The Son of God has come into the Son of God. Listen carefully so you don't misunderstand me. The Logos, the invincible part, has come into the created human part. Amen. Amen. The Holy Ghost is now coming down on the River Jordan to go into the Word. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, it's a different word, of course, because it's the Greek language. But it's agapateos. Notice, dearly beloved, wellly beloved, dear, esteemed, Favorite? Uh Uh-oh. You mean God has favorites. Favorite worthy of love. That it might be fulfilled. Notice Matthew chapter 12 verse 17. Which was spoken by Zeus the prophet saying. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I put my spirit upon him. And he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Now I may believe that God. This father God's spirit invisible. Had a very special love. For his only at this time. Only begotten son called Jesus Christ. He was well beloved of the Father, the only begotten Son of God. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now, up to this time, then, in the New Testament covenant, God has one beloved. 
But what if God had a plan and a way to disperse the beloved attribute out of one body into many? Romans chapter 1 verse 7. Let's see if that happened or not. To all that be in Rome. Now wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the only beloved. He was at that time. But he wasn't by the time Paul wrote this to the, to the saints in Romans. Now what has God done? God has now split up. This beloved attribute of his own heart, these which are chosen after his own image and likeness, and now God has dispersed that, and of all places on the face of the earth, Rome? Rome, the most wicked, vile city. It is now the capital city, of course, of the Roman Empire and has been now for many hundreds of years. By the time that Paul writes this, the worst city on the face of the earth. And yet God, amen, anoints his prophet to say to all that be in Rome, beloved of God. Oh, but I love it. He doesn't just stop there. He says, beloved of God, called to be saints. So you can see these first century folks are not Catholics because Catholics believe you can't wait to be a saint until actually you're dead. The original were saints were saints while they were living. They didn't have to be canonized with some pope. Go through some school of canonization and see if you can do this miracle and you've done that and you've done that and then about 500 years after you're dead, my Lord, who would even be alive to remember whether you've even done it or not? But God said, nope, God ain't a Catholic. God's the Word. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. So Paul was calling women, men, boys, and girls that were alive and wrong. Can you imagine? We think it's difficult living in this day, and we know it is. But can you imagine being a child of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, living in Rome? Rome itself, the very seat of the power of the earth at that time. Oh my, the debauchery, the filth, and the sin of what went on in Rome in the first century. I don't think I'm articulate enough, eloquent enough to express it to you from this pulpit the way they lived without embarrassing both me and you. And yet out of such a hell, out of such a mess, God has people that aren't only loved. They are not just barely going to make it. They're not might be, possibly, perhaps. They are beloved of God and they are called to be saints. I want you to notice this. Being a saint is not something you ought to do. He didn't say y'all decided to be one. I'll tell you one thing, it's a lot easier to be fans of the New Orleans Saints than it is for some folks to live a saint life. A lot easier to buy a t-shirt or a jersey or, or a hat of some sort. I love the Saints. Well, I don't just love the Saints. I am one. And I ain't from New Orleans neither. Well, come on, church. Don't get quiet on me. You are not. If you are a saint tonight, hate course is the word. If you are a saint tonight, you understand what it means? Set apart, sanctified, holy. If you are a saint, you are because you're called to be one. You're not voted on by people. You're not recommended by your pastor. You're not recommended by your mama. If you're a saint of God tonight, you were called to be a saint. And you were called not when you got saved, not when you come to the message. You were called before the world ever began to be a saint of God (laughs) 
We are the true Latter-day Saints. LDS. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, not for any loveliness that they had done, not for anything they could procure. How can I buy this? It's not for sale. How can I trade? What can I trade? You ain't got nothing that you can trade with. Praise be to God. He who loved them from eternity called them to be saints and he loved them. Hang tight and listen. He loved them further than saving them. He loved them further than justifying them. He loved them further than sanctifying them. Some parents only love their kids enough to bring them into the earth and send them off to a babysitter and do this and buy them $100 tennis shoes and give them that sort of thing. Your kids need love, not things. That's right. It takes a real mom and dad in the age we're living in to be able to take time for your kids and give them things that really matter. It's not always how much money you give them, how much of an expensive that you give them on your credit card. It's things that they can never buy at Macy's. It's things they can never buy at the mall. Love and attention and things that the world is so hungering for. Oh my, the word signifies general favor or benevolence. Notice this. But especially that favor which is powerful and active. And it loads its objects with benefits. (laughs) So beloved loads down its objects. So these objects that are going to be the recipients of this beloved affection and care which comes from the Father are carefully handpicked. It ain't any, many, many more. Which one should it go? It ain't, hey, me, me, me. Nope, we have nothing to say. Before you even had a vote, he voted for you. Glory. Called to be saints. Not born. Not good enough. Called. Lord, we ought to be up shouting about right now. Called to be saints. Amen. It was a holy calling too. Praise be to God. So God's concern for his children, his attributes, is an unbreakable chain of his constant flow to give to them that which they need from the beginning of their journey to the very end. As a matter of fact, the prophet says it over and over again, that God gives you a checkbook. Jesus' name is down at the bottom of it. You've got enough in your account for everything you'll ever need from the time you get saved to the end of life's journey. All you gotta do is co-sign down at the bottom. Take your name, pick up the pen by faith and say, I need healing. My back is killing me. I've got this. I've got that. I need healing. And sign your name down on the bottom and the bank of heaven will recognize it if you've got faith. Hallelujah. Oh, Brother Donnie, what if I'm overdrawn? There ain't no way you can ever be overdrawn in the bank of heaven. You don't have to get your check statement out every week. Well, yeah, I give you so much mercy this month, so much grace. You better balance it up and see how much I deposit into your account. Oh, you're over 138%. Oh, my goodness. I've got to give you a penalty now. So because I give you so much mercy in, in, in January, that means you're going to be a little bit short in March. So watch everything you're doing now because I've only allocated so much 
much mercy into your account. I've only allocated so much revelation. The only reason I ain't got more is because I don't want more. The only reason you ain't got more is because you don't want more. There's more for us than we could ever imagine. I'm not talking about grace to sin by. I'm not talking about what I'm going to sin so God can really understand me. No, sir. I'm talking about grace and mercy. Not whenever you do sin, but to keep you from it in the first place. Oh, praise God. So a saint is a person whose sins have been so blotted out, there is no living, written, or oral record of their past. You might go to the rehab center and find their name. Or they was in and out, in and out, in and out. You might be able to go to the liquor store and say, yep, there's his picture. He's boy, he's one of my regular customers. That's only in the record of time. But when they really come unto the hills, Anointing, sanctifying, separating them, cleansing them from within. God's record is the one that counts. There's not even one blemish, one record of anything in heaven. There's absolutely nothing there because their sin is so annihilated and they're hid there by the blood of the Lord Jesus and the token is displayed on their life. They are as sinless as God himself. Woo. That's a real saint. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here in the sight of God to join together. Now, why does the ministry use those words? It's a special occasion. Oh, I've used it since I was a boy. First went and I performed about 18, 19 years old, something like that. I've said those words for years of my life. But no doubt I've called a lot dearly beloved that wasn't either dearly nor beloved nor some of them, you wonder if they even loved. So saying it and actually being a recipient of the power of those words is two different things. But I don't mind telling you, friends, I'm dearly beloved by God. I don't measure that by how much money I'm worth. I don't measure that by how many Cadillacs I've got or how many limousines drive around or private jets or how, you know, how much of the world's accumulative goods that I have. I measure it by the things which really mount. Measure it by love and mercy and revelation and forgiveness and power and imagery of the supernatural God living out of my life. I am a wealthy, wealthy man right here tonight in your presence. And I'll tell you what, I am looking at some very wealthy individuals and I'm preaching to some more wealthy individuals on the internet that you are so rich. You are rich in love. You are rich in mercy. You are rich in the goodness of God. I wish somebody would preach with me tonight. You are rich in forgiveness. You are rich in the goodness of God. Dearly beloved, exact same word now for beloved that was used to describe the Lord Jesus. 
agabeteos. So when John takes him down, God can say this to only one. When he comes back up and the life goes out of him at Calvary, then God was able to divide that beloved attribute. And now God can look at men that at one time were gay. God could look at women that was one time prostitutes and worship maybe idols there in the middle of Rome and they done everything imaginable in your mind and now they were able to receive a letter from a prophet of God and feel like God himself was addressing them personally and calling them you're not just loved you're not just saved you're not just not going to hell you are dearly beloved you are well favored I've got my eye on you I've got my eye on you. Amen. Boy, that scares the fire out of son of us. You know why you're living under that? Because you still don't know who you are. If you'll ever let God reveal to you, some of you think God's got his eye on you. He's waiting and watching for you to mess up so he can hit you. No, you're looking at it the wrong way. You need to understand if you're the elect of God, God's got his eye on you. He's watching how he can bless you. He's watching how he can move for you on Tuesday. He's watching how he can help you through your trial on Wednesday. He's got his eye on you because he loves you because you are the apple of his eye. Second Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So you mean being loved by God, being predestinated to life, there's still something you gotta do? Yep. Still something you gotta do. Let us cleanse ourselves. Praise the Lord. The Lord will never ask you to do what he's supposed to do, but he won't do what you're supposed to do. So you might as well find out that workable agreement and do your part because he will do his. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. So here we have election, holy and beloved in the same verse. So now we're not just talking to any person that come to, well, I don't want to go to hell. I want to give my heart to God. I want to be saved. And yet they go right on smoking. And they go right on saying words they shouldn't say. And they go right on, well, I'm saved. I love God. I, I don't want to go to hell. How could you ever call a person like that holy? They never move into sainthood. Well, praise God. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now this is traits of the beloved children of God. Some of his beloved have a real bad human background. And their background is to hold grudges. So the beloved part of their soul by the new birth will tell them, forgive, forgive, forgive. But their natural birth will say, how can you forgive her? Look what she's done to you. Is everybody in the church knows she's meaning you on Facebook? Oh, she didn't call your name, but everybody knows. 
How can you forgive her? You won't go to heaven if you won't. Which do you think would be worth it? To carry your grievance to hell or forgive them and go to heaven? Hey, look, friends, y'all think I'm already weird? Let me go ahead and show you how much more weird I am or what you think I am. I forgive folks when they trespass against me and they don't even ask me to. Some of y'all do the same thing? They don't even ask you to. I've learned by the grace of God to be like Christ is to take the low road in many, many avenues. Sometimes you have to go beneath other people because you know they do not have it in them. You may not even be the one that's done the wrong and you will have to ask them and you're maybe not even wrong yourself. And you will do everything to make that right when you are the total innocent party. You're acting like God then. Because that's the way God was. God was so innocent. He'd done absolutely nothing. But we could not go low enough to admit how wrong we were. So God said, I'll take care of that. I'll go lower than you all can ever go. How's that, devil? I'll go lower than you can ever stoop. Do you believe that's what he done? We could not go low enough. We could not get humble enough. So God went farther down than we could ever go. And he said, now I look up at you. Now that I'm here, I'll take you up with him if you want to go. Praise be to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4. Oh man. Knowing brethren beloved notice he doesn't say knowing the whosoever will group. But brethren Beloved, knowing your election of God. Can I read the meaning of this word? Ekloge. Now remember, when you look this up in Maryland, when you look this up in some English dictionary or some, some, remember, this word was not written in the English language. It was a Greek word. Chosen. The act of picking out. Choosing. Used of the act of God's free will. By which before the foundation of the world, somebody get my mules. He decreed his blessings to certain persons. The decree made from choice by which he determined to bless certain persons through Christ by grace. My brother, sister, there's why you're here tonight. That's why you believe this word of the hour. Oh, I saw God baloney. You never done none of that at all. God chose you. Brother Donnie, don't you believe in free moral agency? I sure do. I just read to you whose agency I believe in. The meaning of that word is so good. I'm going to read it again. Chosen the act of picking out, choosing, used of the act of God's free will, by which before the foundation of the world, he decreed his blessings to certain persons, the decree made from choice, by which he determined to bless certain persons through Christ by grace. <laughs> Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Knowing your election, not guessing, not hoping, knowing your election 
of God. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Not loved of the Lord. God so loved the world. But these brethren are beloved. Because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. These folks went all the way. These are token folks right here. They didn't just say, just, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. You believe Jesus Christ the Son of God. I believe Jesus Christ the Son of God. You want to go to hell? I don't. All right, Jesus Christ said, any man that will believe on him, you believe, I believe. The, the Bible also says in the book of Acts, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I call upon the name of the Lord. You're saved. You've got eternal life. Well, that's the way the easy believism is today. You'd be surprised how, that, how easy that has creeped right into the message of the hour. All the anti-folks around the message that don't want no genuine experience with God and they just have another dried confession raised in their hand. And accept Christ as your Savior. You got to be born again. That old snake's got to die. That old nature's got to die. You got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, I shout, Brother Donnie, you may. Well, I speak in tongues, you may. But there's one thing you will do for sure. You'll display the nature of God. Let's read this in 2 Thessalonians 2 again. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. They didn't just believe that Jesus died on the cross. They were called to believe the whole canon volume of truth. I'm not just called to believe in Calvary. I'm called to believe in the seals and the opening thereof. You can preach Calvary every day you want to. It'll never produce a rapturing faith. Oh, come on now. You can preach the blood of Jesus all you want to. Preach it every time you go to the house of God. It'll take more than that to give you rapturing faith. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 1, the second epistle. Now, what happened then to these first century Christians, preachers, writers? They got under the influence of this beloved anointing. Now, can you imagine it would seem almost blasphemy to use a word to describe previous sinners that was used to describe the sinless Son of God? You would dare? Describe former sinners? You used the right word, but you didn't see the words you used. Former. They're a new creature now. 
This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So we're not preaching to strangers on the street. We're preaching now about the numerical time lot of God. We're going plumb back into Genesis. We're going plumb back into the very program of God. This is not just to try to lead somebody to Christ. This is beloved understanding. First John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. Well, may I go on to say, and not disrespectful to John at all, it has now appeared. God let one in this day go beyond the curtain of time and come back and tell us. I saw him, he said. Not only that, I saw all y'all over there. Every morning, he, he said, every now and then I get gloomy and all sad. And he said, the Lord will pull back the curtain of time. And he said, I'll look and I'll see him every now and then. I'll get a glimpse of him. I'll see him beyond the curtain of time. So John, even with Paul, Paul carried beyond the curtain of time, but he wasn't able to write what he saw. It was still unclear in this first church age. God was saving part of it for the last day. It must have something to do with the rapture. The seventh seal, the coming of the Lord. You seeing who you are. Praise be to God. Oh, my beloved, now we're the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart condemn us not. Ah. So we're not talking about folks that still sneaking around smoking. You see, anybody that's afraid to shake the preacher's hand because of the stuff on their fingers definitely wouldn't want to meet God. Anybody that dodges the preacher because they're afraid the Lord will show him something. I realize it's difficult having a pastor that God talks to. Well, if I was a lay member, that's the kind of pastor I'd want. I'd want a man of God that God could talk to. So if there's anything out of sync in my life, if, you know, if I was hard-headed and wouldn't hear the word, God would send him straight to me. That's right. That's the kind of man of God I'd want if I wasn't a preacher. Well, praise the Lord, because I want to go, friends. This is not an act to me. This is not a show. I want to go with all of my heart. Oh my, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Now look how that they again address the saints of God as if though an impartation of the very nature of the Lord Jesus had been given to them and this attribute could be referred to as almighty God. Referred to him at the river. This is my beloved son. I'm going to go and say it. Ever since this, ever since this, the first age, for 2,000 years, God has been able to look down through time and say, these are my beloved sons and daughters. 
You could say it in the days of Luther. You could say it in the days of Wesley. You could say it in the days of Pentecost. You can say it in our day. I believe you can say it right here tonight. I believe you can say it in people that stream in this service. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. How could you be beloved? What about you? Only what God gave you. Oh my, notice St. John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Again, we're not talking to folks that don't understand spiritual This is not to a person that's just trusting Christ as their Savior. Try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the land. You see, the beloved have a built-in spiritual mechanism that others just don't have. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Okay, so cows bring cows, dogs bring dogs, horses bring horses, cats bring cats. And everyone that loveth is born of God. So what would be born of God than a cat? A dog? Listen, and not even a human. Your new birth is not human. It's divine. What's born of God? Your God part. Lord, I'm about to fan some of you all. Now I ain't gonna have, to have time to fan the devil. I'm gonna fan some of you all. Oh my, notice in verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Jude, foster brother of the Lord Jesus, verse three, beloved. Where did they get this? This is a common thread among the disciples now and the writers and the preachers that they have been endowed with the understanding of the Holy Ghost called the saints. The same thing he was called, not just loved. Verse 17, but beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of all the books of the Old Testament which use the word beloved, there is one book that it shows up the most frequently used. Oh, y'all don't know what it is, right? Oh, think real hard now. Think real hard. What book have we been preaching out of for the last 42 years? Song of Solomon. Chapter 6, verse 1. Whether is thy beloved God, or the fairest among women, whether is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee. My beloved is gone down into his garden through the beds of spices. In other words, my beloved has entered into his beloved. To feed in the gardens, to gather lilies. I am my beloved's. And my beloved is my. Notice the revelation as it progresses. 
She is now at the place to where she can call him what he has called her, and she by revelation can call him back. So he cooed in the early part of their courtship. He cooed this beloved term, but she was so shallow, she couldn't respond. She was shamefaced. She was embarrassed. She was humiliated. But he's cooed upon her heart as the Holy Spirit cooed upon the cinder of ice as it hung out in space, turning as a great glob of an ice ball. And the Holy Spirit, by the Logos, began to move this big glob of ice closer to the sun in its predestinated aligned path. And as the Logos began to move this ball of ice called the earth, as it was spinning around and turning upside down and tossing about. And the Logos moved upon it and brought it closer and closer and closer to the designed orbit that the Almighty had predestinated for the earth to be in. As he did, the earth began to warm. Now he didn't bring it in one sudden move where it would totally by cataclysmic change change the entirety of the earth, but he brought it degree by degree by degree. And as he did, the earth began to warm and the glaciers began to praise God and the caverns begin to be carved out oh hallelujah to God do you understand on the south pole of of this this earth of ours the absolute coldest place on the earth with now with the condition being there was ice miles deep yet thousands of years ago were ferns palm trees the Sahara Desert, Desert, which covers a space of Northern Africa the size of the United States of America. Yet by core drilling, they have now determined it was at one time, just 5,000 years ago, a subtropical paradise. A lot of folks are all shook up about this global warning. I'm kind of shook up about it too. I'm really getting ready to get shook up. It's going to be worse than shaking up a Pepsi. What are they doing to this global one? Oh, they tore all the pieces. Oh my, if the earth warms 0.6 degrees, this and that or the other will happen. The ice will be gone. I say, praise God. The ice is going to be gone because they've already drilled down. Oh my, down miles deep into the earth, down in the Antarctica and proven by all the gases that's been released and the birds and this and that and the other that they have found. It would have been the ideal vacation spot with about 74 to 76 degrees with possums and beavers and all kinds of things roaming around there. One day she will come back again. Amen. Why? Because our God loves this earth. He will not let her go. If he loves this planet that much, how much more does he love you? Verse 3, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Praise God. Can't you see her spinning out there? 
No doubt, it was not a thousand miles an hour. Her speed would have been slower. The temperature would have been colder. You see, the earth being in the state it is now, it wasn't always this state. But scientists say somewhere around 6,000 years ago, something happened on the earth, a great cataclysmic change, and they're thinking maybe there's a lot of water. And when it did, it caused the earth to tilt a little bit. And whenever it tilted, then according to their, you know, great intellectual learning, whenever it tilted, it caused the earth to slow down. And the temperature then would start changing. Mm. You ever looked real close at the Sphinx in Egypt? You ever looked real close at the pyramids of Giza? And what's amazing is whenever you run laser technology over that, and what you see is water lines. On the Sphinx. They've been here for a long time. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God so beloved his bride that she came out of the fire with his beloved son. When God gave birth to himself, a Logos child, God gave birth to all his Logos children. But not individual entities. They all come out as one child. Because God gave birth to the head of the entire Logos Melchizedek word race to be expressed each in their own time. But his love was so great. And he looked down on a lot of these people that's on the earth and he said, you know what? I love them so much too. I want them to be saved. And we say, hey, y'all want to be saved? So he goes into the pawn shop of time. He has these redemption tickets. So he goes in, gets him seven buggies. He titles this buggy Ephesus, titles this buggy Smyrna, Pergamos. You follow me? So God goes through the pawn shop, the devil's pawn shop. Now we're talking about church ages. And he goes through and he matches that. Yeah, there's that number, there's that number, there's that number. And we're talking about redemption now. We're not talking about salvation, we're talking about redemption, which is two separate acts of God. So what he's going through there and a, and a, and a, a, a DeWalt, a Sawzall says, could, could, could I go? And God says, let me search a book about it. Your name's not there, but I, I happen to bring another book with me. It's called the book of life. Amen. Your name, DeWalt. If you want to go, you might be saved. Now, I don't have a ticket for you. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you in on this verse of Scripture. John 3, 16. So he passes by a JBL speaker. He passes by a fake tree from China. Wow. So God's going through the pawn shop, but he come to redeem, redeem all of those attributes. But while he was in there, his grace was so abounding that others just started 
wanting to go to. So he comes up to the desk and the devil's standing there. He said, well, you're taking my stuff. He said, this is my stuff. You see Donnie? That look like him? That's Donnie. What about all that stuff? They're John 3.16 people. They said they're tired of living in your filthy world. They don't want to go to hell. They don't want to be lost. And if they want to go, I say they can go. Do you agree, Satan? I agree, sir. If you say so, yes, sir. I thought you would. So he turns back and looks at both groups and says, come on. They follow him right out. In different increments of time, of course, some of the rapture, some second resurrection. Can't you see grace? Can't you see mercy? But he had never said to that whosoever will group, know your election of God. I chose you before the foundation of the world. I ordained you. I wrote your name. Now, we can only say that to the beloved group. So if you're standing here tonight, well, Brother Diamond, what if I ain't Brad? You're still without excuse. If you want to go, you can go. But I want to be bright or nothing. You don't deserve either spot then if that's your attitude. We don't deserve neither spot in reality. So whichever one I fit in, if he'll let me go, I want to go, Brother Terry. I believe I'm elected, but you know what? If I ain't, you ain't hindering me from going. And then enough message people in there to keep me out of going. I'm going. I said I'm going. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, blessed Father. How we thank you so much for your abundant grace and mercy. Thank you for giving us, Lord Jesus, of your great riches. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for allowing us to be saints of the Most High God. But let me say, Lord, I am so appreciative of your grace spilling over into the book of life. Even as we've been looking at it in the millennium, for those who never had the opportunity to hear, they're not bride. There won't be one bride member that'll be in that group. No. It'll be the whosoever will group of the millennium, the John 3.16 people of the millennium. The elect will be in glorified bodies. But you will raise millions. The millennium begins with a resurrection and closes with one. Glory. You will raise millions of them. You didn't have to. You wanted to. They're not in the Lamb's book. But out of there, Indians and whatever more they'll be upon the earth will give their life to you under the Messianic kingdom. And they will be with us for eternity. Because of your love and your mercy. And I pray God, we as your elect, forgive us for our slothfulness, our laziness sometimes. Help us never to get the attitude, you owe us anything, Lord, because we're brides, you owe us nothing. Whether we're bride, whether we're Abraham or Jacob or Esau, whoever we are, 
You owe no human being anything. It's your grace that's given to us, Father. It wasn't that Abraham was a good man. He was an idolater. It wasn't that Peter was a great man. We see what kind of man he was. It wasn't even that Jacob was a good man. He was a deceiver, a liar, a trickster. But it was the grace of God given to Jacob. Lord Jesus, may you help us, Father. We long to be there that day, O oh God, when the roll is called. Oh, Father, thank you for your mercy. We love you, oh, beloved one. Thank you, blessed Lord Jesus. Oh, I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you with all my heart. You mean so much to me. Praise your name, Lord. I love you, my Lord, with all of my heart. Amen. Sing it to him.
a child of the King. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm a child of the King. Oh, and His royal blood, it now flows through my veins and I who was wretched and so poor now can sing praise God praise God I'm a child of praise God Amen once I wondrous compassion the king of all kings in great pity and such wonderful matchless love he took me under his wing everybody Give the Lord Jesus a wonderful hand clap of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn around and shake somebody's hand. Tell them it's been good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Have you appreciated God's word? Appreciate his love and mercy to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm so glad I've crossed over the line. Praise be to God, well, I'm so glad I've crossed over the line. I'm so glad I've crossed over the line, the line that separates darkness from
be to God. God bless you, saints. Love you in the Lord. See you again this weekend. I'd like to have a meeting with the trustee brothers in my office after church, if you, if you would. Go in the fear of God. I'm so glad that I've crossed over the line. I'm so glad.